This is Music Touching Lives, a podcast from Five Senses Music. I'm conductor Tom Seligman, and in this series I talk to musicians and other artists who do more than just perform or create. They use their passion for what they do to engage others and enable them to get involved. My guest today is composer, artistic director and all-round musical communicator Hannah Conway. Hannah started her professional life as an animateur with the London Symphony Orchestra's Discovery Programme and has since gone on to work with communities around the globe, bringing her infectious musical energy into thousands of creative encounters. I wear so many different hats in different aspects of my work and my work has, you know, I've been very, very lucky that my work is is and continues to be very, very varied. And I think that's just because I'm... I've always followed my my nose and when opportunities have presented themselves, I've absolutely grasped them always with both hands and run, you know, in that direction. I've never had ever a preconceived idea of the path that I want to take um, at all. So it really has been, a you know, a journey of of discovery and um, yeah. And like I say, you know, seizing opportunity with both hands. Until recently, Hannah was artistic director of Streetwise Opera And currently at the centre of her work is Sound Voice, a project which inspires people to express themselves in ways they'd never imagined possible. Much more on that later in our conversation. But first of all, I wanted to ask Hannah, given that she wears so many different hats, if somebody says to you, what do you do for a living? Do you have an answer to that? Yeah, I think generally my answer is I'm a composer. Um, Very simply, and I write for voice. And I work with professional musicians and um, diverse communities and young people to create new pieces of music that puts both those parties on an equal stage. And was that always the case? Did you always see yourself as a composer when you were starting out? <laughs> no. I mean, no, of course. I mean, I started out, when I started out very much, I came trained as a flautist, you know. So I, I'd when people would ask me what I did when I came into the profession I'd say well I'm a flautist I'm a musician I'm a flautist and then uh, when I started working with the London Symphony Orchestra uh, it was that I'm I'm an animateur and that word animateur what does it mean to you well I, I mean it's 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 about bringing things to life it's about animating and bringing things to life anima spirit so that's where it's from and that's what I see it is. It's about identifying spirit and enabling everybody to, to connect. And that, that can take the form of introducing a concert. It can take the form of a project where you're giving people the, the opportunity to express themselves through, through music, through singing, through composing. It can take lots of different forms, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's about, it's about instantaneously seeing and knowing who you have in a room and enabling potential drawing potential out of everybody that's in that room and making something happen and was there a particular light bulb moment for you when when you thought ah this is this is what I actually want to do with my musical life in terms of my career (laughs) well I you know my training obviously was very classical it was very narrow in that sense um and I was spending you know, three, four hours playing the flute each day through university. That was very much, you know, what I was doing. And then in my second year at university, I went 
I went to teach English in Palestinian refugee camps in the West Bank. And I did that for two months in my summer. And yeah, I guess that was my that was my light bulb moment where I just realised that actually as a whatever I was then, 20 year old, standing in front of a class of 50, uh, 13 to kind of 16 year old boys who had never been taught by a woman before in a refugee camp and did not speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of Arabic and I was having to spend all day every day with them for two months teaching them English. You know, right from the get-go, I had to find a way to communicate with them and a way to very quickly build trust and relationships with those boys who were all very sceptical and absolutely ready to to be um, playing every trick in the book to get away with doing anything at all, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I mean literally from day one, I realised that I there was something I had where I could form relationships very quickly and gather the energy of groups of people and direct that energy positively and yeah there was there was something there which I could do and and made sense to me and gave me a huge sense of enjoyment and um, satisfaction and and that's where I started learning my craft I guess that experience that summer was was the beginning really of me doing the work is probably one of the reasons I'm doing the work I'm doing at the moment I'm always interested in people and in terms of what makes them work and what excites people and you know what motivates people what really gets people going and then to run with that you've described yourself as primarily working as a composer and of course we have a you know a traditional view of the composer as somebody who sits alone and struggles with their demons and expresses their own inner necessities their own musical ideas and the kind of composing that you do is as far away from that as it's possible to be isn't it yeah no absolutely I was chuckling as you were listing those qualities um yeah I I mean for me for me I'm just I'm always so interested in story and narrative and and sounds and so yeah I, I everything I write is a collaboration I wouldn't want to write music if it wasn't a collaboration everything I make is richer because it's a collaboration between me and then a community and then usually a professional musician or musicians and it really is the coming together of different groups of people that's what excites me again it's it's because it's about people that's that's what I'm kind of interested in and people are music and music are people and I know it sounds very um kind of cliched almost but really I think that's at the heart of it and the starting point for a piece or for a project might be a pre-existing piece of music or it might be a particular idea or it may just be the ideas of of the participants in the project the people you're working with if you can generalize a little bit um take us inside a project of that kind how do you actually go about it oh there's there's absolutely no one way and i think anyone that sort of tries to establish almost a methodology for the work is has has lost I've always hated that idea that there is a methodology and that you can teach a methodology again you know I think it's I think it's about drawing you know for example if you're using a piece of repertoire as a starting point you know it really is a starting point it's a jump off point and you're taking elements and ingredients of that work and then immediately as you lift them off a page or out of a score they become something different as soon as they meet another human being <laughs> and that's what's interesting to me because that's when 
that's when you pass you know the baton and that baton evolves and mutates and transforms in the most incredible ways that you couldn't have imagined yourself and it takes you in new in, in you know all sorts of new directions and then ultimately again if you're working from a piece of repertoire that that's that person who's dealing with those ingredients then will feel a kinship and an ownership of of that piece that they may have never heard until they've created their own piece in response to it and Mm. Um, so in terms of enabling people ownership of these great works of art, it's a it's a fabulous process to go through in terms of being creative. And they did a project based on on Handel's Messiah um, with the Academy of Ancient Music. Is that maybe just a good example, just to just to give us a little bit more of a, of yeah, a that was an specific sense? That was quite a controversial example, um, became quite a controversial example. So, yeah, yeah. The AAM Academy of Ancient Music asked me to to, well, to do a project on the Messiah, they that you know they were doing sellout performances at the Barbican, and so I was really just wanted to know whether this piece, which has performed again and again and again, year after year after year, does it have resonance for young people in in London today, of all different religious backgrounds? And so we took it, we took it, and we worked with really really different. Um, schools in in central and south and east london very different socio-economic and and ethnic backgrounds all the children with all the children in the project and they were teenagers and absolutely you know of course it was going to have resonance because it's about hope and it's about discrimination and you know those are two themes that young people absolutely relate to and and they wrote passionately their own their own work in response to this about you know with those two themes at the heart of it and and it was it was pretty visceral some of it you know when you when you hear a young girl talking about being thrown out from home as she's as she's come out and to her family and and they've rejected that and she's cast out and that's set alongside you know a part of the messiah where that's absolutely happening within the text and and they really did think that it had relevance for young people which was just kind of astonishing in a way um that it survived that, that you know those these, this many years and really still does have have relevance not necessarily even as a religious story but just with those themes that unify everybody of course through the generations if i'm going to be just devil's advocate for a moment i just wonder whether as it were we as the classical music community in a project like that is it that we are trying to make one of our great cultural monoliths messiah relevant or is it that we are genuinely starting with the experiences of people in this case of teenagers and saying here's just an opportunity to to express that within a particular context i don't i don't think the the aim is to make make a great work relevant i think it's asking that question is it relevant and you're asking those young people is this relevant should this piece be be performed you know um and it's all it was also asking that audience that night to listen to the piece to the messiah in maybe a different way like with 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 different ears that night and i think continuing to just think about why we continue to to perform these works not just because they're fantastic pieces of music and of course in of course in that you're you know you're in, you're introducing classical music that otherwise these young people might never have listened to but you're not asking them to like it 
you're just m making them aware of a of a different genre of music that maybe they've they've never come in across and and opening that door and if they want to walk through it and then continue to discover then that's obviously fab with a particular group of people how much of the work is is done with them and how do you harness those ideas and how much of it is done then on your own or in collaboration with other artists whether they're writers directors it's so dependent on the project I mean I can be engaged to you know run like a residency week with a group of young people and make an opera in a week with them like for the English National Opera for example and uh, literally Everything is written with them and by them in that week and we perform it at the end of the week. So there's that kind of project. And then there's also a kind of project like, for example, Dare to Dream, which was a big piece I wrote for the Albert Hall a couple of years ago for Garsington Opera. Um, and that was music for that was devised by children in, in the UK, in Syria, in Uganda, in uh, Bangladesh and that really was a collaborative process of, of workshops, of devising workshops where I do, you know, very surreal uh, session of songwriting with children in a Syrian classroom in Damascus where they were stopping because they were hearing gunshots or they were stopping just because they were worried about the sounds outside the building. And there was I doing a songwriting workshop with them and... And then that actually the, the melody that they wrote became the core part of the finale for this whole piece involving 2000 singers at the Albert Hall about dreams and about loss and about the hopes of young people all over the world that were involved in that project. So I think it's it depends. Sometimes it's very much you're receiving and making making music in the spur of the moment and transforming that together very much in the same space with people sometimes you write material and then take it away and then I take it away and look and see which parts of that I want to explode outwards it's about exploding things outwards <laughs> The Freedom Game from 2015, one of my guest Hannah Conway's giant projects in the Royal Albert Hall in London, featuring a cast of literally thousands of singers, dancers and players. But recently she's been engaged with a much more intimate form of creative collaboration.
heard their soprano Lucy Crow in duet with Tanya Borger, who has had to contend with the loss of her voice box to cancer surgery while still in her 30s. She is part of a project called Sound Voice, and I asked Hannah to tell me more. Yeah, Sound Voice is a very important project for me um, about voice and identity. And um, I, I was interested in making work about this subject because uh, a member of my close family lost his speech and that several years ago and it had a huge impact on me and everybody surrounding that person and it was it was just such an incredible moment because I've spent my whole professional career thinking about voice and and enabling voice and and dealing with how we express ourselves and how and how to communicate narrative to audiences and and yet I'd never really truly sat down and thought about the intrinsic value of the human voice and why it is that it's important we all have unique sounding voices and why that's just so important to us all so I said I I just I, I knew I needed to make a piece about voice and identity and the project just evolved into this incredible team of interdisciplinary professionals and people with lived experience of voice loss through significant medical um, kind of illness and medical conditions um, such as motor neuron disease and Parkinson's and um, people who've had laryngectomies Um, and then of course professionals who deal with voice but in totally different areas of of industry whether that's the arts whether that's healthcare professionals technologists in both commercial um, voice reproduction, biomedical research teams, academics, neuroscientists. And the project is to really draw these people together with people with lived experience of voice loss and look at voice, people who would never normally meet in a room together, and then to translate that research and that narrative into what I hope will be really powerful works of art, um, where the research and the science and the human story are presented simultaneously so yeah so what we're doing is we're creating a series of seven pieces of opera and I'm using that term loosely opera but uh, engaging you know working with opera singers um, and people and those people whose voices you never hear platformed on a public stage so we never hear people with changed voices or people whose yes people whose voices have been significantly affected by illness on on a public stage Um, So we're creating seven pieces of work that say something different about voice and identity in each. Take anything I know now I can take anything Please don't take 
there's, there's a wonderful moment in one of the videos where you describe being very moved by the participant who's with, with the changed voice interacting with Roddy Williams, the opera singer in that particular case who was, who was working on the project, and this sense of him giving Roddy permission to create something that that was equivalent to his own voice or h- however you want to put it yeah but so so yeah so we process how does so it work? you're talking about paul's aria so we worked yeah. with um, an amazing man paul jameson who um was diagnosed with motor neuron disease several years ago and since then his voice um has deteriorated and continues to de- deteriorate and he's almost pretty much lost his his speech and we spent hours and hours interviewing him and talking to him and trying to understand how loss of voice has impacted him and his family. We spoke to his family um, as well. And so in making a piece of music for him and with him, it was important that it really reflected something, you know, the kind of the nub of for him what what was happening and and he you know he was just somebody who's very very vivacious and loved being at the center of of social kind of banter and situations and and he describes not being able to to speak as being so frustrating because he's always behind and he can never fluently he can never say what he wants to say in the moment and so consequently he's just withdrawing more and more and more um from those situations which have really defined his life so in working with Roddy and making a piece with Paul it was and and with Paul that Paul sings in as well it was it was it was writing a piece so this aria is for is is for one character that's the character of Paul and but Paul is voiced by two voices Roddy as a professional baritone and Paul and so in that you hear the moments where Paul can't say what he wants to say because he can't speak anymore and Roddy takes that off and flies with it and you hear the full extent of what Paul wants to say and how he wants to express himself and how he wants to tell his wife how much he loves her and what voice means to him so it was it was probably one of the most moving pieces and projects I've ever been involved in it was incredible so yeah I mean do have a listen Just give me a moment, 
words that are echoed later in the piece by Paul's other self, his fully singing self. two excerpts from Paul, conceived and composed by my guest Hannah Conway in collaboration with writer Hazel Gould. You heard Hannah herself on piano, violinist Raki Singh, baritone Roderick Williams and of course Paul Jameson himself, one of the people whose experience stands at the very heart of this extraordinary series of works exploring voice loss, or rather exploring ways to regain voice through creative expression. Like so much of what Hannah does, Sound Voice brings together art and a strong sense of social engagement. Or is that a meaningless divide? Well, I just think that art isn't art unless it has a social aspect. For me, you, you don't have music or, or, any, or visual arts or dance or anything unless there is a social aspect, whether that's, you know, the people making it or performing it or, and then seeing it and appreciate, you know, and responding to it. That's where the energy is. The art is energy, essentially energy, and and so you need people for that. And Hannah's expertise in unlocking that energy in others is frequently in demand. People often are saying, "Come and teach us to do what you do," and my answer is always the same: I can come and I can help you develop your own way of of doing this work. But like I say, everybody who is in this field has their own has their own way of of looking at the world and looking at dealing with whatever art form it is that they are involved with whether it's music or whether they're an opera director or whatever so i mean it's it's it, essentially it's it's about looking at your art and trying to understand why people might connect to that and then thinking about yourself as a communicator and really refining the way in which you communicate and being aware of every bit of your body and how you communicate and how what you say and do affects the people around you. So I think having been involved in training for so many years, I'm just continually learning. I'm never, you know, I never think, oh, I've really got it. Yeah, really, really got it this time. This is definitely the way to do it. There's not a way to do it there's more ways almost not to do it than there are to do it so it's it's you know I'm continually getting it wrong and then trying something different and and then and then finding new ways and that's the enjoyment and that's what I learn as well by working with lots of different people who have so many of their own different strengths and passions it's also about encouraging people to trust the people that they're working with to not imagine that you walk into a room with the answers you don't you walk into the room with lots of questions and the ability to connect and the ability to maybe kind of excite people, but, you know. So you're, in a sense, you're, you're making a space for people and then you're, you're trusting them, you're having the belief that they can fill it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, in the same way that you do, you know, when you conduct, uh, and, and I do if I'm conducting, if I'm dealing with a group of, you know, like I said, like 2,000 people in, in the Albert Hall and, and you, you have to believe, you have to believe that <laughs> when you take that physical breath that they're going to sing 
and and it's like that when you're working with people and you're and essentially they're doing things that maybe they they didn't imagine they were going to be able to do it's because you just say right we're going to do it and we're, and we're not going to think about it we're going to do it right this moment <laughs> right here we go <gasps> breathe go and 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 you take them on that journey and they they run with you they you trust that people will will run with you in that direction and that's such a wonderful image because in a sense it seems to me that great leadership it, you could say that leadership is a, is a sort of it's doing to people because you're you're determining the agenda you're saying we're going to start now but actually i think great leadership is incredibly liberating to people because it it takes away some of the feeling of gosh shall i shan't i when how you're given the opportunity to do that thing in that moment you're you're given space to do it and and actually that's our job as leaders in any form whether, whether it's conducting or leading a workshop or whatever it may be is actually to liberate people to to feel they can do what they can do yeah <laughs> well said <laughs> and it's also about like you say it's about that space but it's 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 also about the joy of of handing that over as well it's a, it's the joy about of saying well yeah I might have I might have started this journey but goodness me you're now you're now I'm now following in your wake and and so that's why that's why it really is about that sort of trust I think I mean it all sounds it, it I think when you talk about it too much it sounds a little bit you know conceited really <laughs> and, and almost trite but, um, yeah, but everybody who has experience of making music knows what it's actually about and as you say you may put into words and it sounds like a cliche but actually when you're doing it it's not a cliche it's an incredibly intense way of being alive yeah it's about being in the moment I mean goodness me we all need to be in the moment so much more don't we now um, than ever before especially with all this technology that we all get sucked into so yeah absolutely it's about being in the moment with other people that's what music is isn't it You've been listening to Music Touching Lives, a podcast from Five Senses Music with me, Tom Seligman, and my guest, Hannah Conway. To find out more, please visit us at fivesensesmusic.org, where you'll find links to Hannah's sound voice videos and much more. And if you enjoyed the episode, do follow the series and share it with your friends and colleagues to help us reach as many listeners as we can. Thanks for listening and we look forward to joining you again soon.